AI will become more and more effective with better and better data and also how knowledgeable your machine learning models are. And the only way to make your machine learning models more intelligently make decisions for you is augment that with human intelligence. And so whenever learning model recommends certain correlations in data, it clusters the data, sees the anomalies, sees the patterns, and then asks a question to the human intelligence or a human expert. I call it the cognitive data steward. Welcome to another episode of Pioneers of Possible, the show that connects you with the futurists, leaders, dreamers, and builders who have reshaped what's possible in the worlds of business and technology. I'm Des Blanchfield, your host and fellow technologist. Today, I have the pleasure of having Mohammed Farik with me in the studio. Mohammed, how are you today? Fine, thank you. No, Mohammed, you're, you're the general manager of the IBM Brokerage Services, from what I understand. Is that correct? Correct, Des. I am the general manager of IBM Brokerage Services and leading the hybrid cloud management platform initiative at IBM, which includes brokerage, DevOps, orchestration, and service management. Now, before we dive into the, the amazing detail of that exciting role, um, maybe we'll just quickly uh, get to know you a little bit better. Now, you're in Austin, Texas in the USA, I understand, at the moment. Yes. Yes, Des. I'm in Austin, Texas. You mentioned you had some snow on the ground the other day. It was so cold. Yes, it was, and it was pretty exciting and also not used to it. So a lot of people struggle through the freeze. I think they're getting a little bit warmer since yesterday. Now, you've had an amazing background, which we'll delve into in a little bit. You came to the U.S. as a, an immigrant from uh, India and, and uh, from what I understand, sort of moved to the U.S. to continue to study and, and uh, I guess, you know, further your education and, you know, look for uh, some exciting opportunities to develop some great uh, work and business. Is that correct? Correct. And I came, I came from India to go to grad school here and went to get a grad degree in industrial engineering, computer science, and then an MBA. And, and really, I was looking for a job and happened to be in the right time in the right place, um, Austin, which was going through a dot-com boom, and where they were, we were inventing new technologies for the dot-com world, uh, the dot-com business models, if you will. And from there, I moved to Silicon Valley and worked there for firms like Commerce One and SAP. Um, and then after that, uh, pioneering a lot of new gen, next-gen technologies with XML and B2B commerce and supply chain management and building the NetWeaver platform with SAP and Commerce One. Again, I moved to the buyer side where I was a CTO for a Fortune 100 size IT operation and transformed it to a multi-sourcing model. Back, Background-wise, though, you, you mentioned you um, you originally set out, uh, I think I made some notes around, uh, you were setting out to sort of do some things in mechanical engineering and, and industrial systems. And I remember you uh, uh, making notes here. Uh, I, I had to kind of laugh uh, in a good way that uh, you said that you'd done some, uh, you, you'd gotten some degrees in, in that space and then you did a master's in, in engineering. Then you went back and did a second master's in computer science. Then you went back and did an MBA and yet another uh, degree in, in AI and cognitive. Um, how did that come about? Uh, tell us, give us a bit of background on sort of how you went from sort of an initial uh, view that maybe engineering was kind of the way to go, and then transitioned into. Because I think you made a really interesting uh, comment that I'd like to to draw out again, and around where your you had this uh, you know epiphany, I guess, in many ways, where you saw the engineering component being where the future is going with technology, but the consumption of technology and the the automation orchestration of technology became a thing. So I think from memory you said that uh, you you went back and did a, a degree in computer science to kind of get the skills in that, and then did an MBA to, I guess, sharpen up the the business experience to how to apply that. Right. No, I think that's 
it, it happened, it was a gradual evolution of my own understanding of what the world was in many ways, the business world was or the engineering world was. And industrial systems or in optimizing industrial systems, which is industrial engineering, is a phenomenal area of work, uh, which started in the US Army, um, where how to organize industrial systems and op optimally operate them. But to do them, the industrial systems have become so complex, you need mathematics to do it. And then the next is you create algorithms to optimize industrial systems, and then you use computers to actually crunch the data and come up with outcomes. So it it was a natural progression to go into those areas of how do you manage industrial systems? How do you optimize industrial systems? And then what is the business value of doing so, which led me to an MBA. So when you move to the information age, which is the digital age we're living in today, which is now probably in its third decade, mid-90s to 2000s to now 2020s, I think we are, we, we are still progressing to the next phase of the industrial age, information age, uh, which is, I think, is Gen 2 or Gen 3, which we are calling digitization right now. But my underpinnings is was starting with mechanical systems to industrial systems to information systems. That's been my progression. Was there something in particular that jumped out uh, in your mind that, that, that you just looked and went, you know what, this is going to scale and we need to get smarter about how we do it. We can't keep physically building these widgets. We can't physically keep putting them into places by hand. Do you think there was a point in time we looked at it and it just, for whatever reason, clicked and you realized, you know what, we've got to get smarter about this? I think what would click to me was the level of complexity was increasing so dramatically. I, I fundamentally believe that a human by himself will, won't be able to manage it. So you really need to start thinking and using different kind of automated systems uh, and algorithms to manage this. And the, even the, and we're talking a lot about AI and analytics today and data and big data today. But back then, that was my epiphany that the systems of the future would be so complex that you need automation, information automation, just not industrial automation, uh, orchestration or using mathematics or analytics to drive automations, which we are calling now AI-based automation, uh, will become central to our operational capability. Without that, we won't be able to operate. And that is the understanding I said, and to get that, you need to get the building block blocks across computer science, industrial engineering, business, to understand what the building blocks are and how to put it together to operate in a world that looks like that. It's almost uh, Henry Ford-like in that uh, I'm sure there's a point in time in Henry Ford's life where he was standing there looking at the building of cars or horseless carriages, as they called them back then, and realized that, uh, you know, you could only get so many human beings to put nuts and bolts together and wheels on cars. We better get smarter at it. And so I suspect you've had a, a similar uh, moment where you just looked at it because, uh, you know, you, you've absolutely nailed the, the one of the salient points that constantly frustrates me. And I'm, I'm spending a lot of time uh, at various levels, whether it's boardroom all the way down to the, the sort of, you know, stand-up scrums every day, trying to share just how significant a shift we've had in the last decade, particularly three to five years, where the scale and speed and complexity of what we're building is, is so great. We've never really, you know, I mean, I think you mentioned we went through like a, a, an industrial uh, revolution to a, an information revolution and when we were talking earlier and I made a note about it and and I think that came with such a cultural and behavioral change that we haven't really fully grasped that yet um, so it was interesting that you got that very very early on and, and went ahead and did something about it and, and, and thank you for that because we probably wouldn't be in as good a shape as we are now The uh, you've been at IBM for a couple of years from what I uh, remember us talking about you uh, you were the 
co-founder, chairman, and CEO of a company called Gravitant, uh, and which was acquired back in, I think you said, uh, November 15th, 2016. So you've had a couple of years at IBM now. What were the natural progression steps of the three different roles you've had that got you to found Gravitant? I think the, the, there's three things. One was my education you just talked about. Second was working in the Silicon Valley and inventing technology and commercializing technology and creating markets. That was with Commerce One and SAP, uh, building NetWeaver as a platform, which was a middleware platform for application development integration. And finally, being the CTO of Texas, uh, where I transformed enterprise IT to a multi-source model, where you, you don't give sole source contracts to one provider, and, and then you distribute the work to efficiently manage your demand. So those three experiences led me to the creation of, hey, we need to create a next-gen IT operating model in the cloud, which is digital and self-service, and that can dynamically match the business demand with the IT supply. And, and that is the epiphany I got from Texas, uh, said this is possible now. IT can now be a supply chain because we have graduated to that level of IT. And hence, uh, the concept of a broker that becomes the platform for managing IT like a supply chain. I remember you you were telling me when you, um, and I think you mentioned you had a couple of opportunities within the um, the office of the governor of, of Austin uh, from mid-1995 to 1999 or 98, I think you said it was in 2004 to 2007. But a couple of things really jumped out at me that just blew my mind. You mentioned that uh, they were uh, consuming business and technology from 70 different data centers and that they had a an IT spend of, I think you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, but $6 billion US dollars a year. Is that correct? Every two years, $6 billion. Every because two years. Have, yeah, a biennial IT budget of $6 billion every two years. So $3 billion a year in IT spend across 70 different data centers. Uh, no, wonder, yeah. no wonder you realize you needed to automate and orchestrate these things. Um, I mean, these are, these are pretty astounding life experiences. Tell us a little bit about the whole Commerce One Netscape experience and the, and the team there. Um, uh, I think you, was it Mike uh, McCouchy and, and Shia Cassie you mentioned? Yes, Mike McCouchy um, was the CMO of Commerce One. And he was basically product manager, founding team of Netscape, which was the company that bought the browser to the world. And they, they went on, and after Netscape, they built Commerce One, which was how do I use the internet protocols to pioneer the B2B commerce platform? Because traditionally, we use EDI WAN networks to do B2B transactions for a long time. So they disrupted that model, and that was Commerce One. So that team was taught me how to create next-gen technologies and then commercialize them and create new markets. So that was my inspiration from building next-gen technologies and platforms and building business models around them. And when I was at Texas, uh, Gary was Gary Gumbert was a CIO, and and he was a technologist but also a pilot, a fighter bomber pilot. And and he, when he after his retirement, he took up this job, and his goal in life was how do I use this technology to solve human problems? So he always bought... A lot of us in the tech world are very fascinated with technology. We want to talk about technology. He used to always interrupt me. I was like 15 years younger from where I am today. So I was more passionate about technology than I am today. And he always said, Muhammad, what is the benefit and value of what you are asking me to do? And how can you help my consumers or my, my business, which is really the citizens of Texas? I have to save a child. I have to help a battered woman. I have to get a sick person, uh, elderly person, helped out. 
uh, how can I effectively do that? And if technology can help me, uh, show me the way. So that basically puts a perspective, and then how much money do I spend on this? Because my budget is, the health and human budget in Texas was $56 billion every two years, and you're spending a big part on technology, saying if you're spending money on technology, you're taking it away from the people who actually need help. So give me a very good reason why you want to spend $10 million with IBM or $100 million with IBM, or we had a billion dollars of contract with IBM. Please give me a reason why I need to spend a billion dollars on an IBM contract to consolidate data centers. So those two experiences gave me an idea of what a buyer is thinking, what CIOs are thinking, what CTOs are thinking. And it also gave me a perspective of how new technologies solve problems and, and they need to survive as a business, how markets are created. So those two experiences have really shaped my thinking on building technology, operating technology, selling technology, delivering technology for a business problem. Through all of that, uh, you came to form a company called Gravitant. Um, tell us how that came about. You know, I, 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 I usually looked at all the experiences and I saw where the technology was going. I think this was 2007, eight. Amazon had just got started and you could spin up a VM with an API from Amazon and, and IBM was laughing at it saying nobody will use that model. This was 2006, seven. And then Terramark, Savis, followed Amazon and created enterprise class self-service for infrastructure as a service. And I looked at the model and I said, really, we are moving towards a future where you're going to lease technology. You're not going to have any data centers. And then you're going to consume this as self-service. Then you will have many providers, many consumers. So we're really moving towards consumerization of technology, number one, where the business model of IT is changing, the delivery model of IT is changing to becoming more automated. To connect the buyers and the suppliers, you really need a broker, and you need a new business operating model and a technology operating model. The current processes with ITIL and with IT are three decades old. They won't fit the future. And hence, I created, we need a new platform that will create a new management stack, just like IBM created Tivoli stack for the old IT. We need a new stack for management, for hybrid or multi-cloud, whatever you call it. Um, and, and then there is a business stack on top of it, which brokers these business relationships between buyers and consumers of technology. And hence, the company Graviton was born. How did you go about even just conveying that message within the business beyond the technology stack? The biggest thing that worked for me is uh, if I talk, um, if I go into the technology of orchestration, APIs, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, middleware, and I say I can aggregate this, I can correlate this, I can connect the right buyer to the right supplier, people would still get confused. But what one thing that helped me was I said, look, the total cost of ownership of 1,700 applications running in your current data centers on a five, three to five year lifespan is X. And if I go multi-cloud and hybrid, which and I put in a mix of public clouds in it and a private cloud hosted, which is delivered in as a service, pay-as-you-go model, your cost model looks like this. And the difference between the two is potentially a 40 to 60% savings. And this is the data. So I've taken all the data from all your current cost models, taxes, and I have applied the pricing models of the providers and put the numbers in. I did them apples to apples, normalized mapping, and here are the results. 
And they said, this is what the future will look like. And that's the future we are living today, eight years later. I started Graviton in 2010. When I presented that use case and a story, and I showed the numbers of what the future beholds, I said, this will disrupt a trillion dollar IT services market. Wow. Because of the delivery and the change in how we are going to consume and deliver IT services. And this is a sample of this. So when I presented the case for broker and the new IT model in terms of hard dollars, comparing with the reality of today, then people said this model is correct. At some point, this model is mature. Because at that time, people used to say, IBM used to say, there's no security. Nobody will ever use it, Amazon. That was IBM's response back then. And people would say, this model will not take hold. This is just for the Silicon Valley guys. This is just for startups. So there's many reasons why. But a lot of people thought this will mature over time. And it did. And right now, that's why the business is shifting to the public clouds or hosted private clouds or a combination of both because it's all about speed and money. It was fast. It delivered a new experience. Previously, you used to wait three months to get a server from IT. You can spin up a server in less than three seconds in, in Amazon. And, and you know what you're paying for it. Yeah. I said, those are the two things, the change in experience, the speed and the cost will really change this, disrupt this industry. And the only way you can manage all of that and leverage the power of cloud is through a platform like brokerage. You gave me a really great one-liner that I wrote down at the top of my notepad here, and, and that was uh, you said uh, we need to get to the point where uh, we run IT like a supply chain, uh, which was quite interesting. I think we should get T-shirts of that printed on. So you've uh, you founded the company. Um, you, you've been acquired in 2016 by IBM. You've been there for a couple of years now. You, you've got this amazing, uh, uh, very broad and, and deep uh, role as the general manager of the IBM Brokerage Services. Uh, 2016, 2017 comes and goes. Um, we're in 2018. What what does a normal day in your world look like, and uh, what's that remit sort of reach across? I think I would characterize it in three parts. You know, my day, my I spend my day in three ways. Thirty uh, percent of my day looks at co-creating the future business model or IT operating model with my clients. So IBM's large clients like Lloyd's Bank or Macy's or J.P. Morgan or any of these. Um, uh, how do I co co look at them where they are in their journey? And every client is at a different level of maturity, and their journeys are all starting in different places. Some of the journeys are starting with business units deploying, building and deploying digital applications using DevOps. Some of them are trying to migrate applications to the cloud to save costs like SAP Oracle Labs. Some of them are saying, I'm already in the cloud. My business has already moved there. I need to, they have thrown this over the wall for me to manage it securely. Can you help me do that? So I look at those journeys and I solve problems and co-create solutions with my clients, IBM clients. 30% of my day goes in telling um, our internal operations team within brokerage and other business units that work with me is how can we, how we have to rechange, how do we have to change our engagement with the, with the clients in this new model? What are they expecting? What are the role changes that are happening? And what? how do we deliver those new capabilities and value to these new roles within the enterprise? And 30% of my day goes in innovation where I take these ideas from the clients and move it into my product and platform roadmaps, where I'm working with different business units within IBM, like cloud business unit has got cloud automation manager as orchestration engine. Uh, I have GBS that is driving best practices around CIOs, IT transformation. 
Um, I, then I am working with the Watson team to bring, how do you create a centralized data lake for all IT data and then drive change management on it and then connect it to the automation system so that automation systems are automatically driven by AI. So 30% of my day goes in innovation, roadmap, product delivery. So I have a development organization of software engineers and an engineering organization. Half of my day goes with solution architects and delivery folks and consultants. And then half other, other 30% of my day goes in working with clients. I'd love to get some insight on kind of how you, how you uh, sort of came to see that as a way to solve the problem. And, then, and some of the detail we talked about earlier really fascinated me around how you're applying Watson and some of the supporting infrastructure and tools to this basic, I guess, business problem of managing technology and data. Right. I think the biggest problem, again, starting from a client, I would like to answer the question of why Watson and why Mr. CIO? I think if you connect those two entities, Watson and the CIO, um, that's very important because CIOs are asked to make decisions every day, number one. Number two, IT operations and DevOps teams are asked to make decisions every day. And those all three need to correlate, operations and, and strategy and execution. So what we have done is, if you look at our offering, the biggest two issues right now in cloud, if you look at RightScale's cloud survey that came out last week, the biggest priority for enterprise IT organizations is getting a handle on cost and usage in the cloud, public, private, hybrid. And how do you get control of that? And which is visibility of what's going on out there. And from an asset perspective, uh, whether it's a VM container, app, workload, whatever, that's one part of it. Second part is, Going forward, either I'm building new apps or I'm migrating existing apps. How do I, which which clouds do I go to? Public, private, which combination, hybrid? And what is my middleware stack looks like? What is my workload look like? And which providers, provider or providers do I pick? And what is my estimated bill of materials? So even before I do anything, I need to simulate all of this and then get an estimated cost over a three to five year and say, okay, if I go with this combination, this is what my choices are. So what we have done with Watson are in three areas. What we have done is in we have built a discovery platform for hybrid management, where I believe that if you don't get the data of what's happening in all these clouds about, the infra, about your infrastructure and your workload, and you keep that data current, clean, with complete, and high integrity, then it's almost impossible to make decisions because you can apply AI algorithms, but if you don't have the data right and if you don't have the data correct, your decisions are wrong. And if you don't have the data complete, your decisions are incomplete or inaccurate. So the first thing we have solved and on this journey is get to a common data system. I call it hybrid cloud data management system. And in the old world, it was called as the CMDB, which is really use workflows from ITIL to keep it updated from change and configuration management perspective. What we have done is we have built a data system which connects to DevOps tooling, to the cloud, to the catalogs, and to the usage directly from the cloud platforms. And we do data streaming online and we do batch. So once we do that, we apply Watson to continuously keep this data clean and current by using learning models, machine learning models, supervised and unsupervised. That's on the technology on the platform side. Then we used Watson to basically build algorithms where the algorithms recommend and where we help teach these algorithms 
using data, ML models, okay, what is the cost optimization options for you? Where you can save cost? And second, where can you make sourcing decisions for a given workload? So there is a business decision aspect where we are using the cloud, uh, where we are using Watson, and there is a data management aspect where we are using Watson. Uh, I've sort of summarized that as the brokerage challenge, the DevOps challenge, and the management of data challenge. And uh, across those, the two core components of sort of you know managing the the consumption of, of services and technology, but more importantly, I imagine um, the the control and management of data from sort of you know master data management. Uh, and I think you you know you highlighted before sort of the instantiation of development of a data lake uh, when we were talking earlier uh, that you sort of had the single source of truth. Uh, are they sort of the three big jump out areas, the sort of brokerage, uh, sort of the whole DevOps and then management of data? Are they the, sort of the three key pillars, I think, uh, that, that underpin this whole thing? Does I think I think about brokerage and hybrid cloud management system that we have built has got four key entry points to it. One is governance. We have a governance console for CIOs and CFOs and IT leaders and DevOps leaders to keep track of where their assets are at any given time, and that is supported by a data lake or a data system, okay? That is correct. We have a second aspect, which is which is the second entry point into our system, into this new operating model, if I will, is the consumption where we are aggregating catalogs and, and delivering content as a service from all the cloud providers into a single catalog system. So, and we keep that current and offer content as a service. Example, Amazon changes service prices, we update automatically. We syndicate the content and deliver it to you. That is the second entry point. Third is the ops console, which we call AI ops, where we use this data to automate decision-making on delivery, provisioning, deprovisioning, and prefixing. And the fourth one is, is really getting into DevOps, which is basically ongoing DevOps pipeline management, where continuously you are developing and delivering code, and you're managing it through a console, which we call it the CICD, DevOps as a pipeline console. So those are the four key entry points to the new operating model that IBM has brought together. What sort of challenges do you see out there and how do you approach that whole uh, issue of, of, I guess, the control of data, the locality of data? You know, in Australia, for example, uh, for a long time, uh, federal government agencies weren't allowed to use cloud services because there was no guarantees that the data would not leave the country. And even now, there's some very stringent controls around that, as I'm sure there are with different agencies in the US and around the world. Um, these must be uh, some of the uh, the challenges that you have to face on a regular basis as well, particularly now that GDPR is coming along. I think uh, you're absolutely right, right? In every contract we sign with our clients, uh, Ginny Rometty, our chairman, basically has said, we promise you sovereignty of your data, for your data, for you. We, we will never share it with anybody, including the government. And that thing came up because... Uh, the government of United States asked Microsoft and Google and, and and Amazon to share the data about different people or businesses, whatever. So what we have done is we have three deployment models. One is we deploy the management system in the cloud um, and we completely separate that data, which is linked to that particular account or client and keep that separate. And if the client is okay with that public cloud model, uh, and we tell them exactly what types of data is there and how it's authenticated, how we have externalized security to protect the data through encryption, at rest, or in flight. So we walk through the whole security profile of that operating model in the cloud for the management system. So if the client is 
comfortable with that model, we go ahead with that model. So our offerings include that's model number one. The second is on-prem, same stack, same offering, but it's deployed on your premises and managed behind your firewall. And we take data out of that firewall inside your enterprise based on our agreement of what data goes out and who sees it and for what purpose. So we are deploying both on-prem model in, in, in the cloud model uh, to address the unique data security requirements of our clients. And I, I think it's going to scale, uh, you know, when we think about, you mentioned before that, you know, the, the governor of tech, the office of the governor of Texas was like, you know, 70 data centers. I hear, I hear people talking to me now about thousands of different services consumed across hundreds of different providers. And, and they're trying to integrate it and, you know, data's moving from one cloud to another or snapshots or metadata's moving. And, uh, and I, I think this goes to something you mentioned before, and that is that, you know, there's, there's systems and infrastructure and orchestration. There's, there's artificial intelligence. You're applying machine learning, et cetera, and, and a whole bunch of data science. There was one interesting thing, though, and that is that uh, you do still have the capability for human curation. I think you mentioned at some point if the systems can't make a decision or shouldn't make a decision that your platform and your offering and your services allow humans to sort of curate and, and make that final decision as to what the treatment of the data is or the classification of the data, which I think is a very important thing to highlight. It's, it's very important, right, because uh, AI has its limitations today. AI will become more and more effective with better and better data and, 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 and also how knowledgeable your models are, machine learning models are. And the only way to make your models, machine learning models, more intelligently make decisions for you is augment that with human intelligence. And so whenever the learning model recommends certain correlations in data, it clusters the data, sees the anomalies, sees the patterns, and then asks a question to the human intelligence or the human expert. I call it the cognitive data steward. And, and then tell them, okay, qualify this relationship for me if this makes sense to you. And if the human says, absolutely, that makes sense to me. Account ID from Amazon for this business unit to this workload makes sense to me because that workload belongs to that business. Then if you say yes, the model then knows that's a qualified relationship. And now that becomes part of the learning model. So your model starts becoming more reliable and trustworthy with human argumentation. And that is the model we are going forward with. Some amazing insights into not just uh, your role, but also yourself personally and, and kind of what the whole function of brokerage does. Before we wrap up, I'd like to do something that I invite all my guests to do, and that is uh, if I were to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to do a little bit of future gazing, with all the things we've spoken about and all of the dramatic, you know, the amazing uh, transitions that, that you're bringing about uh, for business and technology, where are we in a year and a half uh, or so down the track? I think, uh, you know, I think three things are going to happen as we move forward, right? Uh, we are really in a crunch for the skills, business and technology skills to put things, solutions together to solve these problems. And a lot of them are digital initiatives that are happening within enterprises. So the people who are able to acquire the skills, manage the skills, are going to succeed. That is kind of what's going to happen over the next 18 to 24 months in the business world. They're going to come up with innovative business solutions or business models or differentiators that, that are going to create new businesses. And that's going to be very skills-based. And they are, and these skills and these people are going to mature the technologies, and they're going to force IT to change. And IT 
is changing, but the acceleration in the change will happen by the business DevOps teams who are demanding and who are leveraging new technologies to be put into production. And IT has to change to respond to that. So the DevOps revolution will be pushed both by IT. It was being pushed just by business. Now IT has realized it. So IT and business together will move DevOps forward into a completely self-service automated model. That's kind of the second thing. And the third thing is IT will start using putting together data systems in the next 24 months where they can understand how these things are working and learn from the data and try to make better decisions to manage it through automation. Uh, Mohamed Farouk, uh, the general manager of IBM's uh, cloud brokerage services, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Des. I appreciate your time too. It's been a pleasure to meet you and very insightful in how you have articulated what's important for this industry. Hi there, this is Des. Thanks for tuning into my Pioneers of Possible podcast series. I trust you've had as much fun listening to this episode as I had producing it for you. Now, before you go, I have an exciting exclusive offer to share with each and every one of you. You've heard me talking with IBM's best and brightest right here in my podcasts. Now you get to talk with them in person yourself. And here's how. IBM have given me an exclusive offer to give you, my wonderful followers and listeners, a free one-on-one session via phone with an experienced IBM expert. To book your call with an IBM expert, simply click on the expert advice link in the show description. And be sure to let me know how your IBM expert session goes by tagging me in a tweet with your feedback. Thanks again for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of the series. And I'll look forward to talking with you on Twitter soon.